Well, I want to welcome all of our campuses, our South Shore campus, Gulf Coast Online, and here at Little Creek to the seventh and final message in our series entitled The Book of Revelation. Come on, can we just welcome our other campuses joining us right now? Again, this is a seven-week series. I've never done a seven-week series before. I've done six, a whole bunch of six. But uh, So we've been in the book of Revelation for seven weeks. And again, I want to encourage you, you can get download if you've missed any of these and go back uh, and listen to them. Revelation is the last book in the Bible. The Bible says in Revelation chapter 1 that John the apostle was on the Isle of Patmos on the Lord's Day. The Bible says on the Lord's Day, Revelation 1, you can read that. It says he hears a voice. Behind him, as he turns around, he sees it's Jesus. And Jesus begins to tell John, he says, John, I want you to write this down. And he says, I want you to write Revelation 1, talking about the past. Revelation 2 and 3, talking about what was happening in Asia Minor with the seven churches. Revelation 4, all the way through chapter 22, which we'll finish up on today, talking about the things to come. It's interesting as you read the book of Revelation, as you gain a greater understanding, and I wanted to say this, this is not one of those that just hear one time. Go back, look at your notes, read over and over, and every time I think it'll get richer and more full and a greater understanding. Today I want to talk to you out of chapter 20, 21, and 22. Before I go any further, though, I just thought uh, I want to read something that's pretty funny, has nothing to do with the message. But it does have something to do with our heritage. If you are a Cajun, my, my mom's family's from Sal Lafouche, so I can read this. But anyway, you might be a Cajun if you guys want to hear this. I don't care if you do or not. Here we go. You might want to be a, you might be a Cajun if, here it is. Watching Wild Kingdom inspires you to write a cookbook. How I many you know that's good? Isn't that good? I love this one. You might be a Cajun if you're asked in school to name the four seasons and you reply. Onions, celery, bell peppers, and garlic. Come on. <laughs> You're not as smart as the 9 o'clock group. But anyway, they got it real quick, real quick. All right, here it is. You, I know you're going to love this one. You may be a Cajun if you refer to Louisiana weather as gumbo weather. Come on, how many know? It starts getting cold. It's like, man, it's, 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 it's gumbo time. Gumbo time. All right, here we go. Three more. You may be a Cajun if you don't know the real names of your close friends, only their nicknames. Come on. <laughs> Two more. You may be a Cajun if you think the Mason-Dixon line begins at Alexandria. <laughs> Isn't that Shreveport? It's a whole nother country. This is the best. The best. We saved it for last. You may be a Cajun if you gave up Tabasco for Lent. Come on, somebody. <laughs> it means you're in. I want to say two things as we finish up this book. Number one, this has been a very rich and rewarding time for me because every time you teach something, you, you learn more. You know that principle. Those of you that are in business leadership, or you, the more you teach something, the more, the more you learn it. I want to say two things. Number one, no one knows when the Lord's going to return. The Bible says, listen, only the Father in heaven. How many know if only the Father in heaven knows when Jesus is coming back? How many know some TV preacher doesn't know when he's coming back? And I say that respectfully. The tension in the New Testament is this. Here's the tension. All the way back from the first century. Here's the tension. The biblical writers. We need to be ready on fire for God and filled with the Holy Spirit. We need to be ready if Jesus comes back today. How many are ready if he comes back today? Come on. Are y'all ready? Okay. We need to be ready. However, we need to plan and plant seeds 
I mean, like in maybe 100 years, young people, you need to go to college, get married, start businesses. We, we need it. So there's the tension. There's the biblical tension all throughout the Bible that we need to be ready if the Lord comes back today. At the same time, we need to plan like it may be 100 years. That's the tension that I've tried to every week communicate to you guys in this message. All right, I'm going to ask you to go ahead and take out your notes one more time. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to go through that graph. A lot of people have given me feedback. That graph's been helpful to them, that chart, if you want to say it that way. Uh, I'm just going to explain. And it really somewhat chronicles in a linear fashion what our series has been. Weekend, week one, week two, week three. Okay, where are we in the church? Where are we in uh, the 21st century? Where, where are we? We are currently living right here since the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit was poured out. The church was born. That's where we are right now. People are getting saved. People are being discipled. People, churches are being planted globally speaking all around the world, right? Jesus is saving people and healing and delivering people. And, and so this is what's called the church age, right? From the day of Pentecost, there's coming an event. I don't know when it's going to happen, but there's coming an event. This was week three in my series, Revelation chapter four, all right? And then I went back throughout the New Testament. There's coming an event, all right? And a moment of time in the future, could be today, could be 100 years, could be two, I don't know when, but there's coming where there's a rapture of believers. Paul said it this way, he says, not everyone, in Corinthians he said it, and in Thessalonians, not everyone's going to die by way of the grave. But there's going to be a generation of believers, all right, people that are walking with Christ, that the Lord's going to come back. Now notice, if you read 1 Thessalonians, he doesn't come all the way back to earth, he comes to the clouds, he comes to the clouds and he snatches away suddenly. Everyone say suddenly. Where do we get the word rapture from? It's the Latin word raptur, translating the Greek word harpazo, which means suddenly snatched away. That's where the term rapture comes from. So suddenly, there's pastor, has that ever happened before? Enoch was raptured. Elijah was raptured. They were, one indiv they were individuals. So it's not, a, it's not a big step. This is not a precedent-setting situation. People have been raptured before. This is just the believers are going to be raptured. Now, obviously, some people are going to be in heaven. People are already in heaven who love Christ, right, who died. But there's going to be some people that the Bible talks about they're not going to die because they're going to be raptured by way of physical death, all right? So what happens? Now we pick up, watch this, two concurrent streams uh, of history that are taking place here. Number one, number one, in heaven, the very first thing that the church, the believers do when they go to heaven is that they stand before what's called the judgment seat of Christ. Week four and five, I talked about the judgment seat of Christ. I have to be careful to not repeat, preach this. What happens at the judgment seat of Christ? The judgment seat of Christ, only believers stand before that, before Christ, and it has nothing to do with whether or not you make heaven. The judgment seat of Christ is we're judged, our works are judged, what we did for Christ after we came to Christ. What gets you into heaven is your faith in the blood of Jesus Christ. Are y'all with me? Very, very, but after you come to Christ, our works for Christ are important. Listen, I've often said this. I said it week three, four, and five. Our works don't get us into heaven, but our works sharing Christ with others will get them into heaven. Are you with me? Very, very, very important. So, so the judgment seat of Christ, all believers will stand before Jesus, all right? And we will be rewarded according to our, our works, what we did for Christ. It's nothing to do with going to heaven. It's what you'll do in eternity with Christ. All right. We also enter into what's called a seven-year marriage supper of the Lamb. That was week four and five. I talked about that. 
It is taken from the Jewish uh, ceremony of a, a bride and a bridegroom. The Bible calls Jesus the bridegroom. The Bible calls us his church the bride. It's very similar, the analog analogy there. It's very, very powerful. So judgment seat of Christ, then we enter into a seven-year marriage supper of the Lamb. I taught extensively about this. But concurrently on the earth, something else is happening. Immediately after the rapture, the Antichrist emerges. Who is the Antichrist? I've taught you for the last four or five weeks in the scripture. The book of Revelation talks about the Antichrist and calls the Antichrist the beast. All right? The beast, i.e. the Antichrist, is a political leader, not a religious leader. All right? It's a human being inspired by the devil. It's not a personification of evil. It is a person inspired by demons who is a political leader. The Bible in the book of Revelation calls him the beast. There's a religious leader, book of Revelation talks about, called the, it's called the false prophet. So there's the antichrist and there's the false prophet. And then of course the devil himself. Well, the political leader, the beast, the Antichrist emerges right in the beginning of the tribulation. One of the first things he does, Daniel writes about this, is that he cuts a covenant with Israel, a peace agreement with Israel. He brings peace. To, isn't that interesting? Isn't it interesting how this, the, the, the Bible begins in the Middle East and it ends in the Middle East? Very, very fascinating. So, so and, and, and by the way, and Israel begins, they begin to rebuild the third temple, you can go online today. They already have plans for the third temple. All right, you can Google that. And, they, and the problem is, is they've got that gold dome of the rock, which is the third most holy site for Muslims. For, and, and that somehow has to be removed so that the third temple is built. And Jewish people will begin to do sacrifices again. This is all going to happen. Again, I've, I've taught all this the last number of weeks. It's going to start, that's going to happen for three and a half years. How is that going to happen? The Antichrist, I believe, is going to broker a deal a broker deal where he gets the temple mount back in the Jewish people's hands. So this happens for three and a half years. At the three and a half year mark, remember, we're still in heaven at the marriage supper of the Lamb. The tribulation has started. The Antichrist is deceiving the whole world. The world does not recognize who he is yet as the deceiver. Are y'all with me? Three and a half year mark. He walks into the temple in Jerusalem, all right? And the Bible says it's called the abomination of desolation. He desecrates the temple. Daniel talks about it. Jesus talked about it in Mark chapter 14. John talked about it in the book of Revelation. Paul talked about it. Second Thessalonians, two weeks ago we read it. The Bible says the Antichrist, all right, all this is reviewed, that the Antichrist literally walks into the temple. He sits down in the temple, the Jewish temple in Jerusalem at the midway point of the tribulation, and he declares himself to be God. His mask comes off, and all the world, that's a deceiver. Does this make sense? Very, very, very. When that happens, now judgment hits the world at a whole new level, all right? And it is, it is absolute chaos. And so we're still in heaven at the marriage supper of the Lamb. Now the abomination, he abominates the temple, all right? And, and now we move towards, two weeks ago, I talked about the battle of Armageddon. Where does that take place? There's a valley in northern, it's above Jerusalem, and it is, a, it's the Jezreel Valley in Megiddo, Har Megiddo. Megiddo's really now it's a village, and uh, it's, it's where Armageddon comes from. 
There's a huge valley. It goes from the Mediterranean River all the way to the Jordan, uh, Mediterranean Sea, all the way to the Jordan River. The only valley that stretches across the, the, the length of Israel. And the Bible talks about millions and millions of people strong. Army, the armies of the earth come and they line this valley and they come and they turn their sights towards Israel. All right? As they go and march towards Israel and the battle begins, here it is. Now, the second coming of Christ. The rapture, the way that we see it is the rapture and the second coming are two different things, all right? Here he comes to the clouds, snatches up his church. Here he comes all the way back to earth. By the way, interesting piece of Bible trivia, where does he come back to? The Mount of Olives. Acts chapter 1, he ascends to the Father on the Mount of Olives. Zechariah chapter 4 says he descends right on the Mount of Olives. So much so he splits the Mount of Olives in two. Isn't that interesting? So, but he doesn't come back alone. He comes back with his church, with his bride. All right, the bridegroom and his bride. And he sets up, this was last week's message. He sets up what's called his millennial kingdom. Now, a millennium is a thousand years. The millennial is what took place on the earth during those thousand years, okay? So he sets up this millennia, millennial kingdom, all right? But something happens right when he comes back. Several things. Number one, the Antichrist, who was in Jerusalem, and the false prophet are thrown into the lake of fire. Satan, though, interestingly, all this was last week I taught, Satan is bound by an angel that comes down from heaven, is bound in chains and thrown not into the lake of fire, but into the bottomless pit. So for a thousand years, there's no, the enemy cannot deceive the earth, cannot deceive the nations of the earth. Uh, and so, so we're ruling and reigning on the earth with Christ. At the end of this, Satan is released, the Bible says. I ended my message last week talking about Satan is released one final time to deceive the nations. And once again, he comes against Israel and he comes against Jerusalem. It's amazing. And uh, of course, he's defeated by Jesus. And now the scripture is very clear. John, the revelator, says that he is thrown into the lake of fire with, watch this, the beast, the antichrist, and the false prophet, all right? And, and to be... So now we pick up right here. We're almost finished. Today I want to talk about what happens now at the great white throne judgment and then the new heavens and the new earth. If you have your Bible, I'm going to ask you to open up to Revelations chapter, Revelation chapter 20. Revelation chapter 20. All right? You guys ready? Say yes. Good. That was stronger than the other service. All right, here we go. Revelation chapter 20. John now. John is now coming to the end of his time with Jesus. Remember, he's on the Isle of Patmos. This happened 90 AD, all right? And he's having this revelation, and Jesus is talking to him, and his eyes are being opened, all right? And now he gets this revelation of this, watch this, this final judgment, this final judgment. It's called the great white throne judgment, all right? Now notice who is at this judgment, and notice who's not at this judgment. Here, here's what John says, John, Revelation chapter 20. John has this, this, this picture. He says, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, very important, small and great, all right? Famous people, and not famous people when they were on the earth. 
All right, it's very important. Standing before God. And books were open. So there's some books open. We're at the final judgment, and some books are being opened. And another book was opened. Well, which is that? Which is the book of life. So there's some books being opened, and then there's another book being opened, and he gets real clear, and this book is called the book of life. Next verse, watch this. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead. So these people, listen to me, these people were dead. They had died, and they were in hell, another word for Hades. And so somehow at this final judgment, those that are in hell are rejoined somehow with their bodies, and they stand before, they stand before the Lord at this final judgment. Christians are not there. It's unbelievers. Now watch. How do I know that? Delivered up. They were delivered up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one according to his works. Watch this first. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire, and this is the second death. So, so people that reject Christ die one death, then they'll die a second death. Believers in Jesus, we only die one death. It's a physical death and never to die again. Now, what we see here, I'm going to talk real slow because people said I've been talking too fast on the weekends because i got a lot to say. That's what my mom said when I was a kid. But anyway, we see here, watch this, that unbelievers are taken out of hell, Hades, all right? And, and, and they're now before the great white throne judgment. Here are those that have never trusted in Christ as their Savior. Now, very important. There's three judgments. There's three judgments that we read about in the New Testament. Three, not one, but three. And each one are unique, and each one have different purposes. Can you pull my chart back up? Let me explain the three real quick, one last time. The first, the first judgment is what's called the judgment seat of what? Say it. Christ. You say it louder. The judgment seat of? At the judgment seat of Christ, who is standing there? It is Christians, not unbelievers, but believers. The Christians that stand, all Christians will stand before the judgment. We are not standing before the judgment seat of Christ being judged whether or not we're going to heaven. We're already in heaven. We've, we've trusted Christ as our Savior. We put our faith in Christ, all right? Well, then what are we being judged? We're being judged. Our works are being judged after we came to Christ, what we did for Christ. So the believer doesn't do good works in order to become a Christian. A believer does works because they're a Christian. Does that make sense? Very important. So the first judgment we see in the Bible is the judgment seat of what? Say it. Christ. Believers here. There's a second judgment. The second judgment is, happens right here when the church comes back with Jesus. We come and it's called the judgment of the nations. I taught about this a couple of weeks ago. The judgment of the nations is when the Bible talks about it. The separation of the goats and the sheep. It's when the believers judge the nations. To him who overcomes, I will give him power to judge the nations. All right, so it's us and Christ judging the nations under his authority. All right, so, 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 so we're participating in that. All right, the third judgment, which is I'm teaching on today as John finishes this book, all right, is now the great white throne judgment. And this is not, have, it has nothing to do with believers. It's unbelievers that are standing there. All right. Very, 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 very important. But notice what took, what, notice what takes place there. The great white throne judgment will not resemble in any way our current courtroom in any way. There'll be a judge, but there's not going to be a jury. 
There's no jury. There's a prosecution, but no defense. There's a sentence given, but there's no appeal. This is the judgment of which sinners stand in the presence of God, watch this, and are judged, they're judged based upon their works. Not because they're Christians working for God. It was unbelievers trying to work in order to be right with God. There's a book that's opened up. I don't want you to confuse this. The judgment seat of Christ is believers. We're being judged for our works of what we did for Christ after we became Christians. The whole world, and this is where religion and relationship differentiate right here. Religion says you got to do something in order to be right with God. That's what religion says. Relationship with Jesus, biblical Christianity says you can't do anything to be right with God. That's why Jesus was sent to die on the cross. You simply need to receive that gift. Are you with me? I mean, I'm preaching the gospel. This is right down the line. This is, you have to fundamentally understand what I'm talking about. So I want you to see something very sobering here. There are two books, at least two books that are open. The first book is the book of life. Well, what is the book of life? It's an abbreviation for the Lamb's Book of Life that we read in other places in the Scripture. What is the Lamb's Book of Life? It is where the names of those that have trusted in Christ as their Savior, it's where our names are written when we became Christians. Are you with me? Well, the Bible says that the, land, the Book of Life was opened up, but the people of the Great White Throne Judgment, watch this, their names were not found in that. They had never trusted in Christ as their Savior. Where were their names? I'll tell you where their names were. Their names were, and I'm giving this title by way of inference, but their names, because there were other books, I want to call it the Book of Deeds. Their names were in the Book of Deeds. In other words, they thought that they could be right with God by good works. And they thought that if they did good works, if they helped out people, that they would go to heaven. But the reality is, is that, that we can't save ourselves. I had a guy tell me one time, he said, and I'll never forget this conversation. He said, uh, I, I said, are, are you going to heaven? And here's what he said. Listen to me. This is what he said verbatim. He says, I sure hope so. I said, what do you mean you sure hope so? He says, well, I sure hope I'm going to heaven. I said, no, 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 you can know. The Bible doesn't say this, but I'm going to give this term. The Bible says you can know in your heart. I, I call it, you know, when you know her. How many know you can know something in your knower? The Bible talks about the, 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 the witness of our salvation. We can, I know that I'm saved. Listen, it's beautiful seeing somebody that's a believer when they die and they have that peace because they know they're going to be in the presence of God. Isn't that right? Okay, now watch this. He didn't have that assurance, and here's what he said. Here's what he said. He said, I just hope when I, listen, talking about the book of deeds. He said, I just hope when I get to heaven that God's going to look at all the good that I've done and all the bad that I've done, and I just hope that I've done more good than bad. That's called the book of deeds. There is none righteous, no, not one. That's what Paul says in the book of Romans. We will never do enough good deeds in order to inch our way up into relationship with God. Are you with me? If it was by our works, you'd be proud because you did better works than other people, or you'd be condemned because you did less. How many know at the cross, it's a level playing field because it's not our works. It's God's work in Christ on the cross. It's our receiving of the gift called Jesus. That's biblical salvation. Are you with me? Very important. Okay. So, so what happens here is there are two books, the book of life, their names are not found in it, and then the book of deeds. Christianity, we come to Christ, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. It's what Christ has done for us. 
And I'm going to tell you that fundamentally works against human pride because we want to earn it. Isn't that right? <laughs> we want to earn salvation. It's not how it works. For God made Christ who, knew, who never sinned to be, an, to be the offering for our sins so that we could be made right with God through our works, through our deeds. No, come on, say it. Through what? Through Christ. My name's not in the book of deeds. How about you? My name's, my name's written in the Lamb's Book of Life. I know what I was like. There are so many people in our church right now that knew me before I was a Christian. I had one guy tell me about six months ago, when I found out that you were the pastor, I had to just come see. <laughs> and what he was saying is, because I know what I was like. I was, a, listen, I was not, I, I don't care what my mom says. I was going to hell. All right, before I, but how many of you know God makes all things new? He gives us a new heart, a new life. How many of y'all are grateful for salvation? You guys grateful? I know I am. Okay, I, I could teach so much more about that, but, but, but I, one of the things I just want to say, I, I, biblical salvation is Jesus plus nothing. That's biblical. It's you receive the gift of Christ. Now, you've got to receive it, all right? God didn't force anybody to become a Christian. You've got to receive Christ. Okay. Let me transition. I wish I could teach more on that. I've got about 10, 15 minutes left and, and we'll, be, we'll be finished. But I want to talk now about the new heavens and the new earth. All right. All right. Everyone say new heavens. And I want you to say new earth. About five years ago, I did a series on heaven. I talked a lot about the new earth, what we do on the new earth. By the way, in August, I talked, I talked a little bit about the, the new earth. So you can go back to, there's a message there uh, as well. When Adam and Eve were created, listen to me. When Adam and Eve were created, they were placed in a perfect, don't miss this. I'm, I'm, just, I'm landing this whole series right here. This is so critical. When Adam and Eve were created, they were placed on a perfect, a perfect earth. All right? There was perfect symmetry. Remember, Adam is naming animals, and there's a, there, God's presence is there, and there's, they're actually, uh, they, were, they were clothed with the presence of God. They were naked and not ashamed, okay? There was no sin nature. But when Adam and Eve chose to rebel against God's command, watch this, it, 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 it introduced sin into the earth, into the eco-structure. There was perfect symmetry before that, and now the earth, it cracked. It, the, 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 the foundation of, of the purity of the earth, and now the, the, there entered disharmony and disunity, division. Adam and Eve start arguing, right? You know, Adam goes, God, it's the woman you gave me. And the woman goes, well, it's the devil that made me. There's now bickering and fighting. And then, and then their children kill one another, or one of them kills one. Are you with me? All of that is a result of the curse of sin coming in the earth. But, 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 but not only was humanity affected, the actual earth itself. And that's why God says, listen, this whole thing's coming full circle, where God says, in the end, I'm going to make a new earth. I'm going to make a new heavens and a new earth. And in essence, I'm going to restore back that which was lost in the garden. Are y'all with me? Peter says this. This is what Peter says. This will all make sense. It's all going to come together. The whole series, I trust. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. Talking about the return of Christ, all right? In which the heavens will pass away with a great noise. And the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the what? Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. So when is this going to happen? I tell you when it's going to happen. It's going to happen after the great white throne judgment. All right. 
after that, God creates a new heavens and a new earth, and there's a perfect harmony again between mankind. There's no curse on the earth. There's no sin. Now, what's so interesting, in, and, I, and again, I could go and unpack a lot of this, but there is something about Jerusalem. There's something about that part of the earth. I'm not trying to go political on you, but the Bible does talk a lot about it. it talks a lot about Israel. It talks a lot about Jerusalem. I think it's ironic that in the very end, God creates this, this new earth. Listen to me. This is right out of the Bible. I'm getting you to think here. And then John, John has this vision and he looks up and he actually sees on this new earth, he sees a city coming down. Does anybody know what the name of God's city is? It's called the new Jerusalem. Isn't that interesting? Do you know where that word comes from, Jerusalem? It comes from the Hebrew word shamach, which would actually means, or shalom, excuse me, shalom, Jerusalem. And it actually means peace. That's what shalom means. How I many you know the city of God is a city of peace? It's a city of peace and God's presence. So, so I want to read now. There's a new earth that's created. And there's a new city that comes down that is the crowning achievement of God's new creation that his people live in. Now, now, now watch this. this. I got so much to say, but this is so powerful. Revelation 21, 11. Here's what it says. And he carried me away in the spirit. This is John. We're now coming to the end of the Bible. He carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain, and he showed me this great city, the holy what? What's that next word? Jerusalem. Isn't it interesting that you could have three people shot in a city in America? That happens all the time. You have three people knifed or shot in Jerusalem, and the whole world takes notice. Why is that? Something about this. Whoa, man, there's so much in that. That thing is loaded. There's something about that part of the world. God calls Jerusalem his beloved city. God calls that. God, God calls Jerusalem his beloved. It's the only place he does. I'd like to say he calls that Abita Springs, the same thing. But it was, it's, that's where I live. But anyway, so here we go. <laughs> but he does call me his favorite, and you too. And all of you, you too. All right, descending out of heaven from God. Here comes the city. Here comes the city. It's amazing. Having the glory of God. Her light was like a most precious stone, like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. Also, she had a great and high wall, 12 gates, 12 angels at the gates, and the names written on it, which are the names of the 12 tribes of the children of Israel. He goes full circle. Three gates on the east, three gates on the north, three gates on the south, three gates on the west. Now the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. John goes on to describe the size of the city. It's 12 furloughs long, 12 furloughs wide, 12 furlongs high. What is a furlough? It's 1,400 miles. So you can just, this thing's massive, all right? But notice what's not there. There's something missing. Something missing, which today... The remnants of her are right there. There's something missing. The temple. Do you know that the city of Jerusalem was founded by David in 2 Samuel? He, got, he bought the threshing floor of Arnon. Why? He bought it right there in Mount Moriah to purchase it to build a, everybody say it, temple. That's the first temple. He raised the money, did a capital campaign. Solomon, his son, built it right there. <laughs> right there, the temple. 
That temple was destroyed in 586 by the Babylonians. It was rebuilt. It was destroyed in 70 AD by the Romans. That's why they're waiting for the third temple to be built. But guess what? The new Jerusalem, there's no temple. Why? Here it is. Revelation 21. But I saw no temple. John says, and he's a Jewish man. He knew the temple. He'd been to the temple with Jesus. And he saw the temple destroyed by the Romans 20 years before this. He says, I see the city, but I, I, there's, there's no temple. Well, what is it? For the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The presence of God is there. How many of you know that in the New Jerusalem, we don't go to a place. God's presence is everywhere. Even in the here and now, we, we, we gather together. We pray God wants to show up. But I'm so excited that we're going to a place where there's no dying, there's no sighing, there's no curse, there's no worry, there's no stress, there's no fear. How many are looking forward to that? I'm looking, for, I'm looking forward to it. There's so much to say here. What is my point? God brings this thing full circle where he actually, watch this, mankind, here it is, he makes a perfect earth, a perfect human being who chooses to disobey God. They fall, culture falls, uh, the earth falls, culture falls, the cosmos is broken. In the end, he starts from the inside, he restores man's heart, he makes man new, and in the end, gives him a perfect place to live forever. Brings the whole thing back around. And by the way, we don't, but we don't have to wait to the new Jerusalem to have a new heart. God makes all things new today. Revelation 21. Look, God, is into, God is not into renovation. He's always in a new construction. God wants to make you and I new. That's what he does in the heart. Then he saw, sat him on the throne. Behold, I make all things. Everyone say all things. He says, I make all things what? New. When you become a believer in Jesus. That's why I'm not ashamed of my past. I'm not ashamed of anything. Why? Because it's, let me tell you, it's washed in the blood of Christ. How many of y'all grateful God doesn't bring up your past? It's washed. Wash. You're cleansed, man. You're cleansed. God's made you new in Jesus. He's made you new. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, 2 Corinthians, he is a new creation. New creation on the inside. Now, I want to finish with this, and you, this has been, has this series been helpful to you guys? Man, I, have, I feel like I've gotten a whole new. All right, let me finish. i got five minutes. You'll be right out of here at 1230, and it's going to be awesome, and you'll go see the saints win. That was a faith statement, by faith. Okay, now watch this. Here it is. Here it is. I began the series with the scripture, and I'm going to end with this, and then a story. And they overcame him. This was the whole theme of the book of Revelation. Look at me. Look right here. I shouldn't have mentioned saints. You're starting to freak out. Get off your phone. God will show me if it's you. <laughs> You'll be judged. No, I'm just joking. Listen to me. This is important. We began the series. This is the theme verse of the whole book of Revelation. And they overcame who? Say it. Him. Who's him? Who's this? The devil. Do you know something? Once I got, listen to me closely because I want to I say this theologically and scripturally. I want to be integritous with this statement. Once you get to chapter four, you know what I'm doing? I'm prognosticating. I'm doing my best through scripture to say, here's how I see it. Here's how a lot of other godly people see it. Okay, but I, we are trying to decipher something into the future. Now, I know these events are going to happen. I, I have a pretty good idea where they're going to happen. But the reality is, regardless of some event maybe happening a little bit different, here's what I do know. I'm still going to be fighting the devil on the here and now. I'm still going to be going through circumstances here and now. I'm still going to be dealing with worry and fears and all these anxieties. But the good news is this. I don't have to fight them alone because Christ not only forgave me, but he made you and me in, as believers overcomers. That, that, that we're, that, that we're, that's who he's made us to be. 
So how do we overcome? And that's what John was saying. Regardless of the persecution or what comes against you at work, at home, at family, and culture, as a believer, you're not just forgiven. You're an overcomer in Christ. You are victorious in Christ. God calls you that. You're in, you are more than a conquering Jesus. You overcome by the blood of the lamb and by the word of your what? Say it. Testament. I'll close with this story. This week, I, I was in California. I was at a a ministry that I'm involved with and, and, and on the board of, and I was there for two or three days and I was coming back. So it was Wednesday, I got up real early and I caught a plane from San Jose to Phoenix and I got, it was a, a Southwest. And so I got in and I got a, a, I drank a big Starbucks beforehand because until the Holy Spirit really moves me, I need something to help. But anyway, so just joke, you don't judge me, religious people. And so... I, I, so I get the, I get the, the aisle because I know I'm going to have to get up. So, and, and so then somebody comes in, they get the window. And so you know how you do it. Come on, y'all travel a lot. And so you have the middle seat and you're just kind of hoping and you're looking up. And then so if somebody comes, you just kind of look kind of deranged. <laughs> you know, it's, you just want to kind of have a little snarl touch, you know, it's like, you know, you want to get like a little Morgus feel? You want to sit with me? You know, so. <laughs> of course, they keep telling you over and over, you know, you know, the fight, the flight is full, the flight, which is not totally true usually. And so, but, but anyway, so, so almost to the end, this, this, this lady who was an Indian Hindu, I could tell by how she was dressed and what she had on her head. She comes and she's looking there and she's looking at the seat and she's looking and I'm kind of looking down and Okay, you know, can I help you? Okay, so she comes and sits down there. So, I, so I'm like, okay, okay, I'm, I'm just gonna kind of hang, and I'm just, I'm gonna rest. You know, I got up real early, and so it's a good long three-hour flight. I got a book, and so I'm just kind of reading, and and so, and she's she's looking at my book, like the whole time. She's like looking at my book, like about 15, 20 minutes, and then finally she goes, "Excuse me, are you a teacher?" Um. Not like kind of a little bit. I'm, a, I'm actually a pastor and, and I preach and teach and stuff. I'm not like a school teacher, so I, so I, but I teach and, and so a little bit. So God bless you. <laughs> terrible. I'm, that's just terrible. I'm, I'm just, I'm reading this book. I got this book on intentional living. Okay. And, and so it's really a good book. So about 10 minutes into it, she's still reading the book. She goes, excuse me, excuse me. Is Hinduism wrong? I'm like, y'all ever played volleyball? <laughs> when the guy just kind of hits it right there and you just, it's like, and I said, let me, let me explain the difference between religion and a relationship with God. She just moved here from India and she's a precious woman. And I get this napkin out. I talk about God the Father's here and we're here and we have this gulf between us and we're separated from God and I've sinned and you've sinned. The Bible, you ever said, yeah, I've done wrong things. Yeah, okay, so, so Jesus, God the Father sent Jesus to die on the cross for us. The Bible says all of us have sinned and come short. We can't save ourselves, right? It's not by good works. It's, it's by trusting in Christ and the cross. She starts crying. Then I start crying. So I'm writing this down, I'm crying, she's crying. People are looking at us, you know. <laughs> I got a picture of my wife out, I'm like, I'm married, I want everybody to know this, you know. 
these are my kids. I showed her, you know, but the Holy Spirit's like everywhere. I'm just, I'm just like just crying. And she's, and, 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 and I said, well, do you want to receive Christ right now? I said, you know, and she, she's, yes. And so I pray with her. And, and the more I told my testimony, the more my faith got strengthened. The, the more I saw transformation right here. This is like real stuff. It's not, I grew up in a Baptist church. My uncle's a deacon. I've been away from God. This is like somebody, she's heard about Jesus once on a movie. Are y'all with me? And Christ saved her. I'm weeping, I'm crying. People are like, I think they were praying for us. They didn't know. I get this book, John, uh, this John Maxwell book on women in the Bible. I give it to her. She reads the whole book on the plane. I give her our website. I said, God wants to, listen to me. Who knows what God's going to do? Who, she could be Mother Teresa. Who knows? The, who knows what God's going to do with her? But I'm going to tell you something. It takes somebody, and I was, I felt so selfish. I felt so bad. I felt like God was saying through her, will you please lead me to Jesus? And I'm going to take a nap. You will feel so guilty you sleep the next time on a plane. I'm just joking. Hey, listen to me closely. The more I shared my testimony, the more my faith grew. The more I showed my, shared my testimony, the more the boldness came. You want to know why? Because we overcome by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of our testimony. Come on, y'all with me or not? I want y'all to stand. Y'all got me fired up preaching this morning here. The gospel is full of power. Who knows what God's going to do with her life? Who, go, who knows what God's going to do with your life? I did the best I could talking about the future, but I know one thing. Whatever comes against us, you're an overcomer. Say, I'm an overcomer in Jesus Christ. You need a, you, that needs to become part. Of, you're an overcomer. You're more than a conqueror. You are victorious, not in your strength, not in your wit, not in your money, not in your power and your will, but in the grace of God. Say, I'm an overcomer in Jesus Christ. Let me pray for you. Everybody's heads about one minute. If you're in this place today, you do not know Christ. You're not sure about your relationship with God. You're not sure if you die today, you're ready to stand before God. I want to pray for you. I got literally 30 seconds. At all of our campus, if you say, Pastor, pray for me. I need Jesus. I'm not sure about my relationship with God. If that's you, the count up there, I'm just going to ask for a show of hands. Pastor, pray for me. I need the blood of Christ to wash me, to cleanse me. I've tried to save myself for years and it doesn't work. I need Jesus, Pastor. Pray for me. I need Christ. I want to surrender to Christ. If that's you, at every one of our South Shore Golf Coast or online campus here at Little Creek, Pastor, pray for me. I need Jesus. If that's you, one, two, three. Quickly hold your hand up high so I can see it.